The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. If there's one topic in not just Civil War history, but all of American history, where there are surely no new mother loads of historical original sources to be found, it's Abraham Lincoln. And if there's anyone who's going to find that new mother load of sources, it's Douglas L. Wilson and Rodney O. Davis, the directors of the Lincoln Studies Center at Knox College. Most recently, Professors Wilson and Davis have produced Herndon on Lincoln, a collection of letters by President Lincoln's former law partner that reveal, even now, things we did not know about the 16th president. We'll hear some of them tonight from our guest, Douglas L. Wilson, on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Coming to you from the Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters Tornado Shelter this week, located uh, in the same place as the infirmary and uh, headquarters annex that is my house at Oxford Road in Greenville, North Carolina, not on the campus of East Carolina University, which closed early today because of the bad weather, 
and not speaking for the university or for any other institution, and I know my guest likewise will speak only for himself, as we always do here. Well, a few weeks ago, I commented that it, the weather outside looked like the end of the world, and that has become the theme of the 2016 show here, uh, season here on Civil War Talk Radio. Today, uh, big storms were blowing up the East Coast, and the weather was so threatening that the university closed down uh, in early afternoon, and schools were let out everywhere in, in eastern North Carolina, central North Carolina. And apparently there actually were some tornadoes. If you're uh, listening and concerned, we're fine here. No actual damage anywhere in the city of Greenville. And uh, uh, my wife, who's in the next room, assures me if there's a tornado during the show, she will uh, take care of the pets and get into a place of safety while I continue bringing you history uh, of the Civil War era with our guest tonight because we have to figure out what's important and, and we'll stay with that. Uh, this means, uh, let me say, uh, greetings and apologies once again to the lifelong learning uh, program guests who, with whom I spent a very entertaining two hours, at least I enjoyed it very much, last Wednesday uh, here in Greenville, North Carolina, talking about Abraham Lincoln. We didn't get to meet our first week of the program because of a gas leak at the library we met last week. And today we didn't get to meet because of the tornado warnings that had everyone staying indoors. They tell us go to a place of safety, but no one in Greenville, North Carolina has a basement. Uh, the, the soil is such that all the houses are built above grade. So uh, by a place of safety, it, you could be strolling down the street or inside your stick-built house. It's really not going to make a whole lot of difference, I don't think. Uh, best not to be in a mobile home, certainly, but uh, anyway, uh, we didn't go to the public library, which probably would have been the safest place. Uh, so we didn't have the program this week. We'll, we'll try again next week. Uh, I want to say thanks also to uh, listeners who uh, have been writing in uh, with comments about the show or questions. And my apologies, I'm a slow email correspondent. I have not forgotten you uh, and we'll certainly get back uh, as soon as possible. I also want to say thanks to uh, uh, those who have written about the show on other websites. Uh, I was browsing around the internet, tipped off by uh, by last week's guest, uh, David Dixon, to, to look at an interesting Civil War uh, discussion site uh, called Civil War Talk. Not the same or affiliated in any way with Civil War Talk Radio. It looked interesting. The one thing that, that uh, keeps me away from sites like that, for the most part, is uh, the anonymous communications, when people can just write what they want without giving their real name, making up a, an internet nickname. I think it degrades the, the quality of expression, not in every case, but it, it's very easy then to say things you would never say if you had to uh, own up to them under your own name. But nonetheless, uh, it was interesting to see there were people there who liked this show. And there were those who don't care for the moments we're doing right now, the five, six, seven, eight minutes of conversation that uh, we have here at the beginning of the show. And of course, you're free to skip that. In retrospect, I don't even like it as much as I used to when I could bring you the scores of the Greenville Stars uh, girls 12 and under soccer team uh, that I coached when uh, Caroline or Maria were playing on the team. 
then it was really an important moment in the show because you can't get that information anywhere else but here at Civil War Talk Radio. Uh, now I can tell you about how the old guys are doing in the over 50 team, but really, you know, even our spouses don't actually care. It's, it's hard to imagine the world does. So, uh, uh, so I, I can understand some frustration with that. I do appreciate those. Uh, one more bit of, of uh, catching up on news who went to earbud.fm to share uh, news of this podcast with the folks at NPR who are looking for interesting podcasts. Uh, I can't do it because I work here. I volunteer here. They don't, they don't want people with the show to write in. And they ask you, if you go to that form, for your favorite episode of the podcast. Now, I love all 340, whatever they are, episodes we've done so far as equally as if they were my children. And thus, I uh, can't really say which one is my favorite, but a discussion about this topic uh, seems to be springing up on the Impediments of War Facebook page. So if you have a favorite episode, uh, feel free to weigh in there and uh, talk about it or send it to earbud.fm. It is actually, uh, I'm quite serious, it's hard to keep track uh, uh, to, to say which one is a favorite is difficult because I, I'm focused on the current one. And immediately after finishing the current one, I'm preparing for the next one, so there's not time to go back and listen to old ones. If if there's one that I have a particular memory of, it's one uh, most of you will remember from last season about this time, the uh, Civil War Beards episode with uh, true, two very delightful young authors uh, whose information based on the Civil War was, uh, I don't want to say any more than that. I'd say it was a, it was a very entertaining show. Uh, they had written a funny and uh, you know, amusing book, and we had a good time, and they were my daughter's age, so I, I couldn't help but uh, enjoy the conversation uh, in a, a personal way. Uh, it stood out from, from all the other episodes in that sense. But they're all great uh, in different ways uh, because they all, because of the guests that we have, and tonight's uh, guest is no exception. Uh, I haven't told you who's coming up in the future. I'll run it through quickly. Next week, Thomas Kernan. Is that already March? Yes, it is, March 2nd. Thomas Kernan, uh, author of a dissertation, Sounding the Mystic Chords of Memory, Musical Memorials for Abraham Lincoln, 1865 to 2009. The week after that, it's spring break, party time, no show. March 16th, Chuck Veet returns to the show with a story about the first Civil War underwater torpedo. It's, uh, once again, something nobody knew anything about. You'll learn about it here. March 23rd, Martha Hodes, Hodes, I have to ask her how to say it, uh, mourning Lincoln, uh, the, the, about the death of Lincoln. March 30th, Elizabeth Cobb comes to us with a novel about uh, foreign policy in the Civil War, always a romantic topic. And then, then on April 6th, uh, Sheridan Butch Berenger, author of Fighting for General Lee, Confederate General Rufus Berenger, and the North Carolina Cavalry Brigade. There's also the This Hallowed Ground Tour, there's Dave Powell's Chickamauga Tour, so many things. Listen to last week's show for the details. Tonight we're talking with Douglas L. Wilson. He is, uh, along with Rodney O. Davis, uh, co-director of the Lincoln Studies Center at Knox College, 
an old friend, uh, an old friend of the show. He was on a few years ago. Uh, I can't believe how many years ago it was, but uh, one of the most uh, he, he and, and Rod do some of the most important work in the Lincoln field, and we'll talk about that uh, this evening. Doug, are you there? I'm here. Doug, welcome to welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's good to be here. It, it, it's uh, it, it's to use the old joke. It's good to be anywhere tonight. We've got a tornado watch going on here. I'm uh, uh, trying to make sure the, sh- the studio doesn't float away as we we talk. Uh, I hope everything is under control up there in uh, Gales. Well, I I almost hate to tell you this, uh, but this massive storm, uh, which is affecting the whole eastern part of the United States, begins. 50 miles east of us, <laughs> so we are having a, a pretty decent kind of day here. A little, The wind is a little stronger than usual, uh, but for February, it's quite nice. Um, but 50 miles east of us in Peoria, they're getting uh, multiple inches of snow and blizzard, and it continues all the way across uh, the eastern part of the Midwest and um, obviously is affecting your weather. And so I, I don't even like to think of um, the misery of others when I'm enjoying such a mild February day. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying that because up there in the, the prairie up in Galesburg, Illinois, uh, you certainly put up with enough in terms of the winds and the, the winter snows, so, so you've earned it. Yes, we, we do get our fair share. Now, you uh, let me start by asking uh, how uh, our good friend Rod Davis is, is doing. Uh, you and I haven't talked in, in a few months. He, uh, so. we, he, he's been my partner for um, about 40 years. Uh, we met at, uh, we were both on the teaching faculty at Knox College in the 60s, and we, he, was in literate, he was in history, I was in literature, so we had an interest in interdisciplinary teaching and uh, learning, and we founded a very modest interdisciplinary program that grew in, eventually grew into a major, um, and we were the main uh, leaders of it, uh, although we used our major used uh, courses in lots of other departments. But um, we team taught, and we, uh, we continued to teach together until we retired, uh, in the 90s, he was uh, uh, and is uh, a leading historian of Illinois history, specializing in the, the uh, pre-Civil War early history of uh, Illinois. Uh, and uh, he, of course, knows a great deal about the pre-presidential life of Abraham Lincoln, just uh, as part of his subject. Um, and... Uh, we eventually got around. I was working on Jefferson. We eventually got around. I was in literature. I was interested in Jefferson uh, as a cultural person, as a reader, uh, as a, uh, a man of letters, um, because he's a wonderful writer, one of our really great writers of that period, um, and fair game for people in literature. But I was working with Jefferson Studies, and um, we... I uh, had the idea of uh, having a course where we would uh, combine uh, Jefferson and Lincoln. And we would, since these are people who are very readable and um, are interesting and are a wonderful contrast. So we started doing this, uh, I think, in the 80s. 
And by the end of the 80s, uh, we had decided that, for various reasons that I could get into if you want to, uh, we had discovered that the um, most important, richest by far source of information about the pre-presidential Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln before he became president, mm-hmm. um, was an archive compiled by his law partner um, of uh, some 250 informants, and that uh, this had never been published. Um, and so we um, took a deep breath and said, are we really up for this? And we decided that we were, and we spent almost 10 years um, transcribing um, and editing uh, and annotating these uh, this archive of of the the part of the archives that that consists of what Herndon was told by people in interviews and letters. So it's it's what Herndon dug up from other people's knowledge. We published that under the title of Herndon's Informants. Uh, it's been very well received and, and uh, universally used. You can't pick up a Lincoln uh, book anymore without seeing people uh, referring to it. It's important because if we don't have this kind of material about Abraham Lincoln, what we now call oral history, in other words, Lincoln's life isn't heavily documented. Um, he, there's not much of a paper trail for somebody like Lincoln when he's a young man. Um, what you what you have is um, people's re- reminiscences, and since they weren't asked about him at the time he was growing up, mm. but many years later, these reminiscences are um, fished back up out of people's memories and and are all problematical for that reason because we all know that the best human memories um, are not totally reliable. They can be misled. You can easily be misled. And mm-hmm. I can testify that the older you get, the more you realize the truth of this, and that is that things that you think you remember from 40 years ago, and then you find some documents that show what it was really like, and you realize that your memory hasn't quite done justice to that situation. At any rate, that's all we have. If you want to talk about Lincoln's early life, that's what we've got. Well, that that work, Lincoln's or Herndon's informants, uh, you're absolutely right, is is utterly crucial to understanding Lincoln's early life. I know I used it heavily uh, in writing Did Lincoln Own Slaves. I, I can't imagine anyone writing about Lincoln without using it heavily. It's one of the most valuable volumes to appear uh, of source material. The uh, Your point about the fading of memory is true as well. It, I, I discover that on a daily basis when I relate a story at home, and Emily reminds me that's not how it actually happened. Yes, uh, there's always yeah. <laughs> a historian in the family who remembers better than you do. Exactly. What we're going to do is take a short break and come back and talk about William Herndon and your new book, Herndon on Lincoln, uh, the letters written by William Herndon. So we'll talk about who he was, we'll talk about who William Herndon was, and uh, come back and talk more with Douglas Wilson on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's p-r-o-k-o-p-o-w-i-c-z-g at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking today with Douglas L. Wilson. He's the co-editor, along with Rodney O. Davis, of Herndon on Lincoln, a collection of letters written by William Herndon, Abraham Lincoln's one-time law partner. Uh, Rod and Doug have also collaborated on many other works, uh, including the the, the foundational uh, book on Lincoln's early life, Herndon's Informants. We were talking about that just at the end of the first segment. Doug, for listeners who don't know, why did Herndon have informants? Uh, what what caused Herndon to ask people about the young Lincoln? Uh, well, can you Herndon tell us the circumstances? Did, Herndon had been Lincoln's law partner uh, ever since he started to practice law. He was a young law clerk um, working in the firm that Lincoln was associated with. That firm uh, decided uh, the senior partner of that firm decided that he wanted to bring his son in with to the firm and he didn't think they had enough business for three people so he talked it over with Lincoln and Lincoln said that's fine I'll just start my own firm or I'll start another firm and he uh, he was at the time uh, a rising barrister or a lawyer of, of, of one that was coming along strong it was clearly he was talented he was also a rising politician showing leadership in his party as a young man, uh, and a lot of promise. So lots of people wanted him as a partner. And he went and picked this uh, young guy who was just getting his license, William A. Turnton. And people then forever asked Turnton, how did Lincoln come to pick you? And Herndon's answer was, uh, I don't know, and nobody else does either. Um, at any rate, they were partners um, from 1844 until Lincoln um, 
was elected president and left Springfield in February of 1861. Um, in fact, they didn't. Uh, Lincoln was still officially a member of the firm until his death. Um, so, people. Uh, Herndon was himself a talented lawyer and uh, a public figure in that part of Illinois, were very well known and well respected. He'd been mayor of Springfield. He had a reputation of his own. He was uh, an abolitionist, unlike Lincoln. But he thought that he... Lincoln was a secretive person. He didn't seem like it when you met him. It seemed like he was completely open-handed and uh, with unguarded and so forth. But the people who knew him well said this this was um, not the case, that he was um, indeed a, a friendly um, a man and uh, liked people and talked readily, um, but he was secretive, that he didn't really disclose his plans or his aims or his intentions. And people figured that Herndon must know more than most people do because he was with him. Um, on a daily basis for so long, and that they were friendly and uh, companionable and spent a lot of time talking uh, about broader questions and philosophical things and issues of the day, and and he must have some kind of uh, idea about Lincoln. And so he had a lot of pressure right after Lincoln was assassinated to, um, to write something about Lincoln. And he decided uh, in June, that June after the assassination in April, that he would do it. But he was the kind of guy who, when he launched himself into something, he really did it. And so he decided that he needed to make contacts um, in the places where Lincoln lived before he came to Springfield, because Herndon didn't know him before he came to Springfield. This meant not only Indiana, where Lincoln had grown up, as a boy, but uh, Kentucky, where he had born and lived, was born and lived uh, for seven years. Um, so he set out to do that, and he did it by finding out who were the people that knew Lincoln and interviewing them and corresponding with them. And he compiled a, a massive archive of this kind, and it is the uh, far and away the most uh, valuable resource. Um, for Lincoln before he became president. Um, he, um, he got so deeply involved in the investigations that, for, that he really had trouble doing his law practice for a couple of years, and he could never get around to writing the thing. He kept finding out new things, and, uh, and we all know how easy it is to put off writing, um, and Herndon was no, no different. And so... Um, the years, the years began to go by, and he um, he became dissatisfied with the law, and he inherited a, a nice farm from his father on the Sangamon River in the late 60s, and so he moved his family to the farm, and he wanted to try to make a living as a family farmer by the use of his, and teach his children about nature and so forth. He was, uh, he was an extremely well-read man. He was very much a transcendentalist kind of figure. Uh, think Abraham, uh, think uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. 
uh, would be his uh, one of his um, idols. Um, but uh, still, he he uh, he didn't get the biography written. And in the late '60s, uh, one of Lincoln's uh, other friends from the law circuit, who had gone to Washington with him, Ordeal Lehman, um, bought the copies. Herndon realized that he had this fantastically um, important archives, uh, even as he was collecting it. So after he had collected for about two years, he brought in a, uh, a scribe and had everything that he had collected copied. That includes not only letters and interviews, but he had gone to the newspapers to find old speeches of Lincoln and old articles about Lincoln's early activities, and the scribe copied everything. Uh, then Herndon, <laughs> this, is, this is the kind of thing that's hard to understand, um, or maybe it tells you a lot, Herndon took those uh, copies, mm-hmm. had them bound up in three large volumes, think three of the old-fashioned uh, unabridged Webster's Dictionary. Think of three of those. And he put it in a bank vault. He kept all those priceless originals at home. Uh, and, in fact, he didn't take very good care of them because he said, well, you know, some of my um, records, he called them his Lincoln records, some of my records have been eaten by mice. <laughs> uh, you can just gather how he stored those things. At any rate, um, Eventually, to make a long story short, he uh, came across a young, aspiring writer, a guy not too long out of college. He'd gotten a law degree, but he didn't like the practice of law. He took a government job um, because he was a party faithful, and he got a government appointment when the Republicans were in power and was a, went around um, um, doing uh, pension work because there are pension, uh, Civil War pensioners all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, but, and he came to Springfield. He had already corresponded with Herndon, and he explained that he wanted to be a writer, and the subject he most wanted to write about was Abraham Lincoln. And Herndon said, and this is very characteristic for Herndon, oh, I'll help you. Um, I'm glad to help you. It sounds like that, that, that you'd be a good person to write about Lincoln. He is the kind of guy who anybody who would write him a letter would get an answer. And it might be a very long answer if he thought you had asked good questions. Um, In the early years, if you had said, do you have any souvenirs of Mr. Lincoln that you might be able to part with, um, he would say yes until he was almost entirely out of souvenirs. He even gave away his own letters that Lincoln had written him. I mean, Herndon was a strange kind of fellow in this respect. But at any rate, he began to write letters. Uh, he got into this project. He began to write uh, almost daily uh, whatever he could think of that he hadn't talked about before to this young man, Jesse Wyke, who lived in Indiana, Creek Castle, Indiana. And uh, after he'd done this for several months, he says, you know, I I think I've given you enough information to write a book. And um, so they went back and forth about this um, because all uh, Wyke had thought about writing was some articles about Lincoln. And he agreed that, well, they had an awful lot of information that Herndon had given him. 
And then Herndon says, I have this whole archive of things that people have told me and I've written down. And, um, so eventually they, by the end of 1886, they had come to uh, an agreement that they were going to together produce a book, and Herndon would provide the information, and Wyke would uh, edit the material or write material that was needed to be filled in and so forth. It was kind of vague. He was going to be the the editor of the project, and Herndon was going to be the the authority. Mm-hmm. Um, and they never really had the same idea for the same kind of book. You you read all this because White preserved their correspondence, at least he preserved what Herndon wrote to him pretty faithfully. So you have all of Herndon's manuscripts that he had collected, and then you have all the uh, the very prodigious correspondence that they carried on when they were conceiving and writing the biography. And then, after they got a publisher and got... and, and um, Wyke had written the, the text, then they had... It, they, they, there's a lot of correspondence about the... Uh, when Herndon is proofreading the, uh, the galley proofs, and he's finding errors, and he's finding things that he wants uh, put into the book and so forth. Um, so eventually they get, and this is, the, this is part of the Herndon story that's really a very interesting story that's not very well known. Herndon uh, has, uh, has not done well as a farmer. He has had to sell off land, uh, and as he got older, he got less, less productive. His children grew up and moved away, uh, and he really... Um, was down to his income was down to almost nothing, so when this project came along, he saw it as a way by making some royalties to make some money because he's down to the point where he owes the grocer and he owes all kinds of people, and the mm. only way he can get money is to take produce from his farm into town so um, when they get when they publish their book Erndon's Lincoln eighteen eighty nine the publisher has a contract that he gets the full rights, the full royalties for the first 1,500 copies. And then they will get royalties on what's after that. The publisher distributes these 1,500 copies to uh, reviewers all over the country, magazines and newspapers and so forth. Mm-hmm. There's a big um, response it becomes a big item. Everybody's talking about it and wants to read it. The publishers announce that they are bankrupt, and they have, they have no money to print any other copies. Ugh. And so Herndon and Wyke um, get nothing, absolutely nothing, for their um, three years of effort. So, and, of course, it's especially crushing for Herndon. Um, but uh, eventually... Uh, Herndon dies not long after this uh, this thing. Luckily for him, um, well, let me step in and, and, and say because it's this is a, a sad story at this point. Uh, but yeah. listeners should be aware that Herndon's Lincoln uh, was, of course, was published. Uh, and while Herndon didn't benefit from it, you and uh, Rod Davis published a new edition of yeah. uh, of Lincoln's Herndon. Uh, just to, uh, 
I would say a few years ago, I guess it's... it's right. And, and uh, the question that we get now is, and I think this is a fair question, mm-hmm. um, since Herndon has written this book that's been called the most influential biography of Lincoln ever written, uh, and it is a wonderful read, um, a very readable book and full of mm-hmm. uh, anecdotes and information, um, why, and we've published a book of Herndon's uh, letters to other people about Lincoln. And the question right, is, why would one wade through? And Herndon is a is a kind of gnarly writer. He has an interesting style, but it isn't uh, a particularly graceful or agreeable style. Mm-hmm. See, why would anybody um, waste want to read his letters when you can read um, his biography, which is on the same subject? And there's a very good reason for that, and I know that you know, but I'm sure you're. Um, your listeners will be interested to know if they don't that one thing that we found out in editing Herndon's Lincoln, and we did a new edition of it that came out in uh, 2006, mm-hmm. is that we found that Wyke used Herndon's documents, the interviews and letters that he got, but he rewrote them. Um, and he, he thought apparently that was part of his job. Um, and in fact, he wrote the whole narrative. Herndon's idea for the book was sort of intellectual. It was going to be about qualities that Lincoln had. And he would sketch out some things and then on these topics, and then Wyke would edit them, as it were. Mm. And Herndon, uh, I think, really never took full cognition of the fact that Wyke had his own idea of how the book ought to go, which was a kind of uh, cradle to grave biography, and um, and it, the problem was that it was always going to be in Herndon's voice. So, so Wyke has invented this voice of Herndon's to tell the story in, and it's a quite a pleasant voice. And Wyke, whose real wish apparently was to be a novelist, um, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of not. He novelizes um, Herndon's life. Um, and he edits all of these um, original sources. He even edit, he can't leave anything alone. He even edits Lincoln's words when he's quoting uh, a Lincoln text. He uh, and, and eventually uh, it's bad enough to be inaccurate, uh, but eventually this gets him into trouble where he gets the facts wrong. And there are other things that Herndon thought were very important, crucial. Um, like Lincoln's fatalism, for example, and he, talk, he well, talks a good deal Doug, about Lincoln's fatalism. Let me let me step in here and suggest uh, that then what you found in Herndon's letters are the real Herndon's Lincoln. Yeah, uh, that doesn't That's appear right. in the book. So we're going to take another short break and come back okay. and talk about some of the things you found that uh, that White doesn't tell us. We'll okay. find out what some of those are in just a minute. I'm talking tonight with. Douglas L. Wilson. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. 
If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Doug Wilson. He's the co-editor, along with Rodney O. Davis, of Herndon on Lincoln, Letters by William H. Herndon, the longtime law partner of Abraham Lincoln. As we discussed in the first two segments, Herndon eventually uh, co-wrote or supplied the material for the biography uh, generally known now as Herndon's Lincoln, uh, but it was actually written by Jesse Wyke, and the material that Herndon supplied, Wyke had his way with it, made it uh, interesting and uh, pleasant to read, but the real stuff is there in the letters that Herndon wrote to Wyke uh, and to others. And that's what we have in this current volume. Um, Doug, uh, I've had the, the privilege to serve on the, the Board of Advisors for your Lincoln Studies Center for a number of years and been able to follow this book through its gestation. And I know uh, one of the questions we asked you and and Rod originally was, you know, what's what's in these letters that's worth a separate volume? Is it really that interesting? And you both assured us, oh, yes, definitely. Uh, readers will want to get a copy for themselves and find out, but can you tell us some, what's the kind of thing you found in, in these letters that made you realize this needed to be brought to an audience? Well, there are some um, sort of um, standout things. Um, for example, one of my favorite examples is there's a very brief letter somebody has written to Herndon. Um, I think it's, it was, it's a guy uh, from an Eastern family of the Dwight family, famous Dwight family. And uh, I think he's, if I remember correctly, what he's trying to get across to Herndon is that he shouldn't reveal anything that would be damaging to Lincoln, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Because there was this concern that Herndon seems to be the sort of person who is too anxious to tell the truth. And uh, 
that, that bothered people. It made uh, Springfield people very nervous. That there were a lot of people who knew Lincoln, but who didn't want to talk to Herndon because uh, they were afraid they would be quoted um, in a con- context that they didn't want. You know, it's one thing to talk about your old friend uh, mm-hmm. in private, but to say things uh, that are going to be public about this person that you knew who has become, whose biography is very important to, a, to the Republican Party and, and uh, to a, a, a world that is listening far beyond the nation, um, that, that kind of bothered people. But uh, Herndon is the kind of person who, uh, who, who wanted to, to tell the truth and, uh, and he, he got into a lot of trouble. He would, he would talk to people in these terms and as, as I say, people would worry about it. At any rate, this person wrote into him and that kind of a letter. Somebody that Herndon mm-hmm. didn't know. And so he said, your name is Theodore Dwight. Are you related to the, is, is your father the man who wrote the, the book about Jefferson? Uh, and Jefferson's character. He says, you know, um, that's a very good book. I read it when it came out, and um, I gave it to Lincoln, and he read it, and we both were very impressed. Um, and, of course, this book is a, is a Federalist, an old Federalist account of, um, of Jefferson's work when Jefferson died in 26, 1826. A few years later, his grandson, his literary executor, um, published a four-volume collection of Jefferson's writings, most of which were private letters. And these letters show that what, what the Federalists had always ac- accused Jefferson of being a dissimulator and being disingenuous, not sincere in his public statements, and having a secret agenda that he didn't want to be frank about it, and these private letters show that that, that was indeed the case, at least um, for, for their, from their perspective. There were a number of um, things written of this sort in the 1830s after this came out, and uh, Theodore Dwight's book is a, a very substantial book of exactly that kind. He says, I propose to show in this book that Jefferson's character is exactly what the Federalists were always claiming to be the case. Um, and so Herndon says, uh, after this, after reading this book, Lincoln never had a good, uh, never had a very good view of Jefferson's moral character. Yeah, I bet. Now, he never says anything about Jefferson's moral character. He wouldn't because he's the kind of um, shut mouth man that we were talking about. But mm-hmm. this seems to be pretty clear evidence that he had a very different um, view of Jefferson than um, as uh, of his character than he did. He talked a lot about how much he admired the Declaration of Independence and mm-hmm. Jefferson's role in that, and how he thought that the whole idea about all men are created equal that phrase had epitomized the essence of American democracy, and it's. It's the, uh, what he calls the electric cord that everybody who, um, uh, um, that everybody responds to. Mm-hmm. So I think Lincoln wasn't going to admit that he didn't 
care much for Mr. Jefferson's character um, as a matter of just a matter of uh, personal opinion. He's the kind of thing that he thought he wasn't going to uh, tell people. He was going. uh, He was going to keep that a secret. And so it's one of these things that just comes out. It isn't that Herndon sets out to do that, and I don't remember him talking about that in any other letter, but it's a kind of thing that just came out um, because this man happened to be, he wasn't even the son of the, of the author. He was a relative, but he wasn't the son. So I'm looking at that letter here from December 30, 1866 uh, to Theodore Dwight from William Herndon, and it, it's just a paragraph, just a few lines, but in it, uh, as you say, he refers to the book uh, about Jefferson, Lincoln read it, and then he says, Mr. Lincoln never liked Jefferson's moral character after that reading. So after a lifetime of Lincoln, the politician, never revealing a fact of how he felt about Thomas Jefferson's moral character because it would not have helped his politics or served any purpose to have revealed that, Herndon can't help just spilling this out to a total stranger uh, right. uh, off yeah, the cuff. It doesn't and he does this him. a lot. He- and, and, you know, Herndon got the reputation that the reason that he was telling these things about Lincoln that shouldn't be talked about by his friends uh, was that he had it in for Lincoln. He had a secret animus toward Lincoln. And one explanation was, well, he, he didn't get an office from Lincoln, and that's what he uh, resented, and that's why he's saying these things about Lincoln that put Lincoln in a dubious or a bad light or an embarrassing light or something of that kind. What? Um, let me ask you quickly about Mary Lincoln. Uh, uh, Herndon famously was uh, not on good terms with Mary Lincoln after uh, Abraham Lincoln's death. Uh, the, the material he found from the informant suggested that Abraham Lincoln had a relationship with Ann Rutledge, and uh, Herndon played that up for all it was worth, perhaps more. Uh, did In these letters, do we find any softening of the uh, uh, William Herndon-Mary Lincoln relationship? Well, that, that's a really good example, Jerry. Um, if you read David Donald's biography of Herndon, it isn't mm-hmm. really a full biography. It's a, it's a book about Herndon and Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he famously quotes a number of passages in Herndon's letters um, where he calls her uh, the wild cat of the age and uh, a she wolf or something, you know, that, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and, of course, he does, those are accurate quotes. But what I've shown in, a, in, a, in an earlier article that I've written about this is that this, it is not, uh, if you look at those letters, and this is another value of this book, you'll see that in the same letters where he says those things, he almost always says, I sympathize with her um, and what she had to bear because it wasn't any fun being married to Lincoln. And hmm. that they were such different people um, and that he was so unsympathetic with her um, fancy um, aristocratic ideas and so much of a plebeian that um, there was trouble with them. His very behavior irritated her. 
and brought out the worst in her. But Donald doesn't balance off his, um, when he's talking about what does Lincoln think about Mary Herndon, he just, he just uses the bad side, even though the, in the same letter there are things that are saying something uh, balancing that off. Um, he, uh, he's the one who uh, posits a long-term hostility between the two, which you can't do, um, uh, document. Um, they didn't get along um, in a sense that he was, he never, re- she was a, a real aristocrat and let you know whether mm-hmm. she thought you were your equal or, or and most people weren't. Uh, and he, he, you know, just kind of stayed away. He didn't want to make trouble with Lincoln's wife. Um, and so he just kind of stayed away from her. There's no evidence that um, they were bitter enemies, and uh, that you get the impression from um, uh, um, from Donald's book. But mm-hmm. there's no question that when he began to lecture about Lincoln, he began to say things in his lectures that got reported and got back to her that she resented, and you can't blame her. There, he had his theory of Anne Rutledge that Anne Rutledge gave Lincoln this sort of permanent emotional wounds so that um, so that he never could love another woman and um, he, he puts it just that way and you can see that this is the kind of thing that um, it would be extremely painful to Lincoln's family to hear that talked about in public um, and they had no reason to believe it was the truth and they thought it was you know um, being done to do them injury, uh, so I can I can see that I can sympathize with that, and of course people <laughs> said even if it's true he shouldn't say things like that. So he just was a big loser in the in his campaign to try to get at the deep truths of Lincoln's emotional life, and I think he's not um, he's not reliable uh, on that subject, and I think most people agree. It's when he's talking about what he has observed himself and what he's sure that Lincoln said. For, and for example, he and um, it comes out that he and uh, Mary both agree that Lincoln's favorite maxim, his, the, the thing that he kept repeating to people over and over again, was, what will be, will be. And mm-hmm. no prayers of ours can arrest the decree. Um, so... I think that, I mean, that shows that, that, that no matter how you come at it, um, this, is, this is what Lincoln said. Whether you believe her or whether you believe Herndon, they, they coincide on this at this point. Well, this is uh, just you know, a fascinating look into Lincoln from the person who spent more time with him than any other individual, except perhaps yes. Mary. Uh, and, and it's unlikely we would ever find an archive uh, uh, of such direct insight. So uh, th- this is just again, in just the two minutes remaining, um, what what else? Uh, what what comes off the page? Uh, what changes our, our view of Abraham Lincoln in this book? Uh, I I'm not so sure it changes 
too much. Uh, I think a lot of this has been out there. Uh, there's been a huge interest in uh, in what Lincoln, ha- what Herndon has to say about Lincoln's religion, mm-hmm. because it's the thing that's been fought over ever since Lincoln um, became a great national hero, uh, and he he goes after that subject very often in the letters, um, and he actually modulates his views. You can see that he he was. Uh, convinced that uh, Lincoln would never have changed his skeptical view of religion and adopted a um, an idea of he believed in God but he said that he um, as when he knew him he never accepted the kind of personal God the redeeming God the God that interferes in people's affairs um, but uh, there's lots of reason to think that Lincoln began to um, to use God in a different way as president. And Herndon thought this this must be just um, conventional stuff. But I think you get a chance to see that even Herndon, after he begins to study the second inaugural, thinks that he, Lincoln did begin to think about God as, a, as somebody who is uh, intervening in personal uh, human affairs. So, so we do get some, uh, some new insights, some fresh yeah, views of Abraham Lincoln. I think Lincoln. so, yes. Well, th- this is really a, an important book. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I'd love, I'd love to talk another hour about this. But listeners, uh, it's one of the important, most important books on Lincoln recently published. Uh, Herndon on Lincoln, Letters, William H. Herndon. Uh, it's published by University of Illinois Press. You will want to get hold of it and learn more about this, uh, about our most important president from his closest uh, associate. And, Doug, it's always good to talk with you. Thanks so much for being on the show. It's my pleasure, Jerry. Thanks for having me. And listeners, as always, thanks for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.